Welcome to Founders Unfiltered by a Junior VC. We are your hosts, Mazin and Abiral. Abiral, the fintech industry can be quite difficult to break into. Why do you think that is? It's an interesting question. Actually, we also try to look at this in the Bharat Papers that we wrote. Um, I think the Indian fintech industry is far ahead of a lot of other competitors competing with geographies, I would rather say, like the U.S., it still has a lot of potential for innovation. I think some of the biggest innovations in financial technology have happened in, in India with UPI, the whole finance stack. Even though there are a lot of players, companies have proved that there are gaps that can be built and exploited. Um, and the basic reason is that money is so important for people and India is a growing economy where money is increasingly becoming important and managing it, ensuring that it moves around efficiently. Um, lots of companies are building for these horizontals. So, so I think that even though it may seem upfront that it's difficult to get into the space because of such big giants, um, companies like Cashfree have actually found verticals and areas where they could play and dominate even though other players exist in the market. In this week's episode of Founders Unfiltered, we speak to Riju, the co-founder of Cashfree, one of those companies that was able to break into the fintech space in the last few years. Growing up, Riju never thought of starting his own venture. It was only after getting an admit from ISB that he started thinking about what he really wants to do in life. Considering the expense of a business school education and the opportunity cost at hand, he decided to start up instead. He met his co-founder Akash through mutual friend. The two often used to bounce ideas off each other. Before starting up, they evaluated many different ideas and narrowed down on the problem they had both faced personally, cash on delivery payments for online businesses. Riju mentions that although the fintech space has many players, the market still remains fragmented and there exist immense opportunities for problems that have not been solved yet. The early days of cash free were tough. They won't able to raise capital in the first two years, but they remained barely profitable. Eventually, listening to their users' demands, they were able to carve out a niche for themselves, helping online businesses collect as well as disperse payments in real time. Today, Cashfree has over 50,000 businesses with transactions worth $12 billion processed annually. Join us to learn how Reju built Cashfree to help online businesses make and collect payments easily. Hey Riju, thank you so much for taking out the time to speak to us. We're really looking forward to this conversation. Sure, thanks for having me, Aviral and Mazin. So Riju would love to go back for our listeners. We always do that with our guests. We talk about how things started, you know, where you grew up, uh, any anecdotes that would be helpful in your entrepreneurial journey. would love to understand all that, maybe up to, you know, going to IIT Kharagpur and then after that. Sure, there was nothing entrepreneurial, I think, up to the time you know i started up so i think it was more of uh, chances and you know being in the right place at the right time and meeting the right people but just prior to that i don't think there was much of uh, entrepreneurial spirit or dna in me right i mean so i grew up in delhi went to school in and around delhi and noida and then i went to iit kharagpur for my engineering and right after that i started working uh, in gurgaon in a company called zs associates 
uh, which was into uh, data analytics for a lot of pharmaceutical companies around that time you know i think you know we started dabbling uh, you know one of my co-workers suggested that uh, we work on a certain idea around in the real estate space so i mean that was i think the first attempt uh, i had in trying out a venture so again you know it's just someone pitched and it, it was a problem that we had faced uh, and and we just you know uh, took a shot at it um, didn't work out i think largely because we didn't have a lot of money saved up so we couldn't really quit our jobs and take the plunge uh, and we were usually i mean uh, just moonlighting um, you know at night while we still had a day job that was something that was not sustainable and it was an ops heavy business that was finding it hard to scale um, so yeah i mean that shut down i, I, I then went on to uh, do work in marketing online marketing at fabfurnish.com which was an e-commerce <coughs> furniture retailer at that time i think and that was a good experience wherein i got a hang of a fast paced uh, startup world uh, where you know you had uh, vc money coming and you had to get results at a quick pace yeah and and, and got a hang of uh, the ecosystem like that was the first introduction in the ecosystem during that time i think we were bouncing off ideas i mean that's where i around that time that i met akash via common friends and uh, so akash had a few ideas i had a few ideas and we were you know each looking uh, excited about the space and i had an admit also so from the indian school of business and uh, around that time but i decided that you know i think uh, starting a business at that time might be a better thing to do and yeah i mean and, and then we kind of <clears throat> somehow chanced upon uh, while discussing payments as a problem and we started off uh, with cash on delivery payments which was again a, a problem that we had personally faced i mean we were both coming from e-commerce background akash was working at amazon i was working at fabfurnish and we had faced the cash on delivery uh, problem in our personal lives so that's how we decided to i think you know take the plunge and work specifically on solving cash on delivery payments for uh, india at that point of time you know i mean obviously cash free has evolved quite a lot since then uh, but that's what you know made us take the plunge back in 2015 you make it sound very simple and straightforward but i'm sure that there must have been a lot going on in the background because you uh, went to a good college you had an admit from a good mba school as well how is the decision making happening in the background because i think a lot of entrepreneurs or to be entrepreneurs find themselves in a similar situation how did you weigh the pros and cons uh how do you decide that hey i want to do this i don't want to go to business school would love to understand that decision making process you obviously said that there was no entrepreneurial exposure you had uh growing up so would love to understand that yeah so i think uh, a part of it was that i'd got the b school admit much earlier while i was graduating in college so i had like 2 years to think about what i wanted to do before joining b school so and within during those 2 years i was able to you know to things that were probably unorthodox or I, I was able to take my chances so uh, that I, i think that helped quite a lot that i had two years in between to decide whether i wanted to go to b school or not um because i come from the you know the typical background where parents ask you to go to engineering and maybe do an mba right i mean that that was the expectations and uh, yeah because of these two years i had a time i had some chance to think tried started up so that gave me a hang of how it was like worked at a startup I had a fair idea that you know like this was a space that I mean there was a lot to be done in the space in any space I mean any market you pick uh, you could probably find a problem and try to solve it and it would be an exciting challenge from a, a work life point of view and I I didn't really see you know going to MBA would change a lot of things apart from just being a huge expense uh, which you know wherein I would have to again end, end up paying that loan and then only would I be able to get into you know something similar so it was more kind of saving on that opportunity cost 
cost as well so it wasn't that hard a decision uh, you know at that point of time it's like saving money and doing something you felt good about and felt right about so i mean at that point of time it just felt like the right thing to do understand and how did you get along with your co-founder how did the both of you you know meet each other start working on the problem yeah i think akash uh, kind of stayed with uh, my friends from college um, so very good friends from college and and these guys were also starting up they had started up before us right and, and it's a successful startup i mean profitable business uh, saas startup and you know we always used to have conversations you know what what are you doing what is happening and you know I, and i think akash also had those conversations and so they put us in touch right since we all had uh, ideas bouncing off each other yeah so i mean that was the introduction and then akash and i started exchanging a lot of ideas as you know we would talk chat we would just keep texting uh, for a long time so and yeah i think i think there were four or five ideas we evaluated you know, there was an ai chatbot there was a logistics marketplace uh, that we were discussing uh, and a couple of others and, and then we finally picked uh, what became cash free uh, in payments amazing no it's a it's a great story how is the journey at cash free starting out did you immediately raise funding how are you thinking about the company because you know you've recently raised a ton of money and congrats on that but would love to understand the journey in the early days of the company where you think you're bootstrapping when did you decide to take venture money uh how was that decision making process yeah i think uh, bootstrapping was not a choice i think it was forced upon us so i mean when we started out we did intend to raise um seed money and we did talk to a lot of people a lot of our time was spent um, you know talking to people uh, but unfortunately you know i mean we could not raise Uh, i think and that's the that's probably the story with most of the startups because what we see in the news is only the ones that do end up raising so uh, yeah i think the first two years for us was was without any uh, venture or investor money yeah but but we always were trying you know you know like i mean i think we talked to almost every vc uh, in india uh, across all shapes and sizes and and we kind of realized that we had to survive you know assuming the venture money was not coming and had to ensure that we kept growing and maintained a you know at least a profitable uh, margins uh, and what what people would say ramen profitable right so um, yeah so that was the case i think not by choice interesting and uh, could you talk us a little bit about what cashree does and you know fintech is so well publicized but misunderstood at the same time how do you differentiate from other options in the market what do you see the landscape and where does cashree actually come in to the picture right so cash free uh, today we help an online business uh, collect payments uh, via all the available modes and also make payouts uh, to their vendors partners customers uh, you know via multiple payment modes overall maybe we help a business connect with more than 100 payment modes to both collect and disburse money so that is what we do today and when we started off we were doing uh, as i mentioned you know, cash and delivery payments and gradually as we talked to the customers we figured that they were not i mean they themselves asked us to provide an online payment collection gateway for their websites you know the first set of customers for us were uh, night delivery restaurants uh, in bangalore um and while we kind of explored that space we figured that a, a lot of the incumbents uh, at that point of time were focused on collection of money uh, and while there still were improvements that could be done there in terms of you know success rates reliability you know speed of moving money uh, there was 
a big empty niche in the disbursement of funds wherein a business uh, needs to pay out its vendors as a market or let's say an online uh, gaming company that needs to pay its uh, players uh, in real time so those kind of use cases uh, we thought were underserved and uh, the, the companies at that time the startups at that time had to use their banks and banks uh, on one hand and a payment gateway on the other and i think that process was pretty broken uh, and and there were a lot of these new kinds of business models that we saw were evolving we had a lot of marketplaces hyperlocal companies gaming companies uh, coming up and even let's say rental subscription companies where you have security deposits so the payment flows were becoming uh, more complex as the business models uh, you know evolved uh, but we thought the payment gateways at that time we were just doing uh, the single the, the same function of helping a business collect money via you know a few payment modes which had been this case you know since 2000 when you know when we started off with online bill payments or ircTC ticket booking and flight booking I mean nothing much had changed in the product since then uh, over the 15 or 16 years so we felt okay you know like these are the new business models that are coming up which have complex payment flows which need a bi-directional flow of money uh, where money is coming in and going out and that requires a very different kind of payments infrastructure or a payment solution provider. That's what we built initially. I mean, we launched Payouts, which is our public dispersal product uh, in late 2016 and got our first customer in early 2017. And then we targeted, uh, you know, specifically those kind of businesses, which had uh, both a, a bidirectional uh, payment use case. And that kind of gave us uh, a good traction early on. And I would say was responsible for, you know, the significant early growth uh, once we started growing. So our topic for this week uh, is, of course, about the fintech industry and, and payments specifically. And so Ryuji would like to to talk in a bit more detail about that initial problem that you were solving and, and how that evolved and how you pivoted. I mean, you touched on it, but can you start off by first describing how your cash on delivery service was solving uh, a problem and how that worked? Got it. Yeah, so uh, what we initially tried to do is uh, when we started off, I mean, more than 50% of the uh, payments uh, at that time were cash on delivery. So we felt that obviously the incumbents are not doing enough in terms of uh, you know, a payment experience uh, because they're not able to convert cash to online. So what we figured is we gave an alternative, uh, we gave an option to the user to pay via their phones after they have received the order. So the restaurant would have or, or the merchant would have an option of pushing the bill into their into the phone of the customer via a payment link over SMS and the customer could just pay, open the link and pay using any of the available modes like credit card, or debit card, Paytm, etc. So that was the initial uh, product that we had. Uh, from there, I think, you know, the online businesses uh, themselves asked us to build a payment gateway for their websites. And that's when we realized uh, that, you know, even though the incumbents were there, the merchants still had issues and, and they were open to exploring a new payment solution provider as long as it solved their problem. So um, that's how we kind of got into the online payment collection space. And, and within that, then we realized that not just online collection, online disbursement is an equally big problem because there were a lot of the businesses that are coming up that needed both collections and disbursals. You know, the likes of, as I mentioned, marketplace, uh, marketplaces, uh, hyperlocal delivery companies, uh, gig economy, you know, like Uber, Ola, etc. Online gaming. I mean, you had cryptocurrency exchanges also at one point of time became very popular. So all of these were cases where, uh, you know, you need uh, more than just payment collection also at a pretty significant uh, scale. So that's where we kind of built Cashfree into this online uh, payments platform that can help an online business collect payments via all the uh, payment modes and also disburse money 
out uh, into a bank account and later UPI, you know, and any any wallet for that matter, such as Amazon Pay or Paytm. So that's that's what we kind of became. That is, I would say, the core product offering that we have today. If you can tell us a bit more about how you see this whole payment space evolving, you talk about how you saw this need uh, for more complex business models with all these new online businesses. Uh, but now with UPI, uh, do you think that's the future? How do you see that simplifying or changing the payment space going forward? So, yeah, I think UPI has in some ways kind of taken up significant market share, I would say, right? Especially in the collection space, dispersals, not as much uh, yet. Uh, but in collections, definitely UPI has eaten up, uh, especially net banking's share. So, you know, people who already use their bank accounts uh, via net banking are definitely moving to UPI to use their bank accounts. And credit cards, debit cards to a certain extent, uh, I mean, I would say it has eaten up, but probably not to the same extent. And credit cards, I would say, is relatively less affected, probably. So people who are getting credit and I think on their cards are probably, you know, enjoying that. So that is how uh, UPI has probably evolved in the payment collection or merchant payment space. In terms of for our payments business, uh, the job probably still uh, remains the same, which is to aggregate the available payment modes and make it available to the merchant as far as online payment aggregator goes. Uh, there is still, I would say, value in there because we still have uh, a lot of fragmentation in terms of the number of modes available. And I think merchants will still want to have a single platform that can connect them to various payment modes available. Uh, while UPI has gained market share, as of today, I think uh, we, we still at a space where you know an aggregator adds value. From an aggregator's point of view, I think they would want to figure out uh, just beyond online payment collection, what are the other things they can do. First thing is, you know, figure out what are the various uh, different payment modes that are coming out because the more payment modes are there, the easier, uh, the better it is for an aggregator. So if you have, you know, QR codes coming out or you have contactless payment methods coming out, which are an offline use case uh, particularly. So that is kind of work that an aggregator can take up and I think keep adding value. You have uh, recurring payments via e-mandates. You have now UPI mandates. So all of that, I think, still can kind of I would say makes the case for an aggregator to be there and act as an intermediary between various banks, financial institutions and uh, a business. So I think while there is a fair amount of talk about how UPI is going to erode uh, payment aggregators and their market share, I think in the short term of maybe five years, uh, I think there is still a business to be made because you have so many payment modes and you have so many payment use cases. And uh, I don't think UPI will be able to fully uh, kind of take over a lot of that immediately. So that is one in terms of what aggregators can already do in the existing line of business. Uh, apart from that, they can always go, you know, horizontal in terms of which I touched upon it right? from online use cases. You can go to offline use cases because now we have the so-called uh, convergence of uh, online to offline where a retail store wants to sell offline as well as online. So, you know, what are the kind of payment solutions that could be there in an offline use case? Like you could have your contactless cards or you could have your QR codes. How would that look when integrated with the online payment collection? So that is something you can do. Then there is the cross-border front, which is largely, I would say, a regulatory barrier. Uh, more than a technology barrier. Uh, but I think in India and cross-border payments, I mean, there is still a lot of work to be done. And, and that's, uh, I would say, a relatively high margin uh, business. Uh, so these are the horizontal plays from online. You can go to offline collections. You can go to cross-border. Disbursals, I think, still remains an undertapped market. Uh, we have, I mean, I would say it's still for us, looking at the numbers, it's still growing at a pretty healthy clip. And I think there are a lot of businesses that need disbursals even today. So that is the horizontal, I would say, part of it. And apart 
from that you can always go and build a uh, vertically by vertically i mean payment aggregator is usually a merchant acquirer which is that that they work closely with the merchants but i think you can go upstream in the payment processing uh, process so to say and work on the upstream uh, part which is the transaction service provider or a technical service provider which is the payment switch and there you have companies like fss hitachi and so on and which are you know fairly big companies i would say and have been around for a long time so there probably i think uh, is value there as well i mean how can you improve work closely with banks and larger financial institutions and improve the reliability of payment processing i mean that's payment infrastructure so you can go in there as well from right now working with merchants so that would be the vertical integrated uh, move i would say so i think there are opportunities uh, in in all of that just speaking from a payments point of view no really interesting sounds like there's still quite a lot to do in the payment space even though it's been one of the spaces that has got a lot of attention from startups but you mentioned one thing that i thought was interesting you said that you've evolved by listening and and listening to your customers and i'm sure that there's a lot that goes into that so can you tell us how you go about evaluating options you know with this first up until this point with cash free but also going forward how do you look at all these different spaces that you can get into and how do you prioritize Yeah so I think uh, again it definitely depends on customer demand I would say we are seeing customer demand right so I mean we have retailers who want you know an integrated payment collections for both offline and online right very large retailers who have been hit by the pandemic so there is a use case for that you have e-commerce players who want a software uh, point of sale you know or a mobile point of sale because you can't carry card swipe machines uh, everywhere and this is kind of pretty close to what we had started off initially but were somewhat early for right so so these are all customer backed uh, I, i would say assertions right uh, which is you know whenever there is a new payment mode or a new payment interface there would be some business uh, who would benefit from that apart from that when you go to enterprise i think enterprise customers enterprise uh, internet businesses uh, they would need things like success rates uh, reliability and uptimes so from there if you work on payment infra i think uh, you might want to if, or, or rather if you are kind of serving inter- enterprise customers then you would want to work on payment infra and make sure that you know you have you're getting the max best success rates and best reliability so for a smaller business ease of integration you know availability of all payment modes Uh, that is what matters more for a larger enterprise business you know how reliable you are and what is the exact su- success rate and with cash free you're serving both enterprise and smes right yeah i mean we have started off that way uh, but the focus i think is on i, I would say uh, medium to large businesses as of now Uh, and so if you can tell us a bit more about how you you know you have customers telling you about these different requirements there's so many different spaces that you can go in but you obviously have limited resources how do you guys go about prioritizing which areas to work on yeah i think that depends on uh... pretty much i would say the revenue potential or if it is a space where we see uh, the scope for a lot of growth or a lot of merchants which again indirectly translates to revenue potential so for us i think we prioritize revenue and uh, uh, maybe transaction volume to a certain extent but i think we definitely look at the revenue potential of it so we take a bet on you know let's say whether this particular merchant is really big or we take a bet on the fact whether this market is going to be really evolving so i think we base it purely on uh, how much we can extract in terms of value or uh, revenue out of that so that tends to be the i think the most uh, key decision making factor when prioritizing 
No, that's 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 pretty cool. I'm sure that you must have seen an update, like fast forwarding to today. How are you guys doing on the ground in terms of transactions, in terms of volume, um, in terms of team? Uh, how has COVID impacted your business? Yeah, so today I think we have pretty much recovered to the pre-COVID numbers. Uh, so we were processing around, uh, and we still are processing around uh, one billion dollars of uh, monthly uh, transaction payment volume around seven and a half thousand crores and uh, so yeah that had dipped significantly during the months of april right before that we had been rocked by the yes bank moratorium so and while we were still recovering from that you know the pandemic struck so but yeah so far i think the a lot of the businesses have recovered uh, many of them still have not i mean that's we can see that in the numbers and which is why I would say our numbers are just back to the pre-COVID levels and not, you know, significantly beyond that. And and on a year-on-year basis, we were anticipating to grow maybe by two and a half, three x. But I think uh, this year we'll probably have to settle for maybe around seventy to hundred percent growth. I mean, a hundred percent would be an optimistic number in terms of year-on-year year-on-year growth. In terms of team size, today we are around 230 people, I think, working across Delhi, Bombay, Bangalore, and we have a team, small team in Chennai as well. What does the future look like for you going forward? Yeah, I think future uh, we would probably want to keep maintain the growth in terms of transaction payment volume, as I said, right? Uh, grow by at least two x every year, and uh, that is the numbers front. And I think in terms of product, definitely go both horizontal in terms of uh, cross border payments, uh, offline payments, and also additional business verticals like let's say issuing credit or building a platform to issue credit. So those kind of you know other banking use cases that closely I would say or or we have some ability to do that uh, because of our experience in payment processing uh, that is something also that is pretty interesting and apart from that as I mentioned you know payment infrastructure uh, and what we can do to work closely with the banks and make sure that transaction processing is more reliable and has higher uptimes uh, so that is I think also of keen interest to us uh, from a product point of view. Amazing and. How do you see competition panning out in this particular use case that you focused on? I would say cash-free kind of made sure that the payment gateway uh, does collections as well as disbursals, right? So before us, uh, you know, payment gateways only did collections, and I would say, th- and, and since we did this way back in 2016, late 2016, early 2017, I think we had a lot of head start in disbursals, and and I think we definitely are leading the disbursement space by quite quite a margin. Uh, and we have some of the larger customers or larger internet businesses working with us in that space. But that, that's it. There is competition. I mean, I would say, obviously, if there is an opportunity, people wake up to that. But having said that, I would say the market is really large because now, and especially because of you know the situation, we had a lot of uh, businesses going online and adopting digital payments. So right after the pandemic, even though our uh, uh, payment volumes uh, dropped, uh, I think the number of signups went through the roof. I mean, you know, and we we actually had to work overtime just to service that additional spike in demand. You know, like our signups went uh, more than doubled uh, during that initial period of April, May, June. So yeah, I mean, I think the market has really opened up. And while there is competition because it's a lucrative market, um, I mean, I would say there is still enough, uh, you know, headway to make sure that we maintain the growth numbers that we want to, right? And I think if we can achieve the targets, uh, you can, you know, we'll, we'll be a pretty, I would say, a good company and it would be a satisfying uh, endeavor, I would say. Amazing. And uh, as our final question that we ask our guests, uh, which is the reason why we call our podcast founders unfiltered. What's one piece of unfiltered feedback that you've received on your journey as a founder 
which has stayed with you we are generally looking for more you know honest sometimes brutal kind of feedback but something that was really important and changed the way you looked at things looked at building looked at uh, running a company yeah so i think there were a couple i, th- I think i think both came from michael saibel uh, during y combinator he is a great uh, guide to have and a great sounding board to have and he usually speaks unfiltered uh, the first one was like he asked us to speak slowly because uh, and it's a very simple speak of uh, piece of advice because when we went there we were speaking fast and people could not understand what we were saying so it was a very simple advice that speak slowly right when you're communicating uh so that is one the second i think a more uh, i would say relevant or more important uh, one was uh, you know he asked us to be more uh, more formidable right so whatever that entails yeah i think that was the second piece of advice that he gave and that you know probably stuck uh, with us how, how did you take that feedback and uh, what do you mean by being more formidable just curious i don't know what he meant i mean it, obviously it means something but the one liner was you know you guys need to be more formidable right and i think uh, i mean i haven't really thought a lot about what it means in terms of how we should behave but i think it probably means that you you don't get pushed over because you know when you were going to an investor and maybe you were pitching there is a ch- chance that they might not take you seriously so i mean at least get taken seriously whenever you are in a conversation either with a business or a or a customer that's probably how we took it amazing thanks a lot riju for your time really loved the conversation and learned a lot about the ecosystem thank you so much for tuning in to founders unfiltered hope you enjoyed this week's episode join us next week for another episode of ajvc unfiltered where we talk about our latest piece 